What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Long Game Podcast hosted by Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore. In each episode, you'll hear us break down financial topics that are relevant to the lives of millennials and other young professionals. Our goal is to help bring credible financial information to you in short, bite-sized episodes. Thomas Kopelman and Trayton DeVore are the co-founders and financial planners at All Street Wealth. All opinions expressed by Thomas and Trayton are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of All Street Wealth. This podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered advice. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisors you have. All right, what's up and welcome back everyone to another episode of the Long Game Podcast and for us and for everybody to the crossroads. Welcome, this is, this is another weekly episode. Today we are joined by Chris Arnold, the lead financial planner at SecFi. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Thomas. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Have you been have you been on a bus before? I actually didn't ask you this before, but I'm in, I'm interested. Uh, I've I've tuned into a couple episodes, uh, but this is the first time joining the podcast. So excited to be here, and you know, hopefully, be able to to give some advice to the community. Yeah, me too, man. So let's talk about before we get into it. Let's just kind of get uh, an introduction to who you are, your story, uh, SecFi a little bit, and then we'll start to talk about equity about equity comp for sure. So I uh, just recently started up at SecFi about six weeks ago. Uh, prior to that, I was at an RAA based out of St. Louis, um, started, you know, traditional financial advising, really, you know, got um, the fundamentals down pat. I, you know, sat for my CFP exam, worked with a lot of, you know, higher net worth um, investors, you know, primarily retirees um, and learned a ton there. Um, you know, I was there for about five and a half years and, you know, really got, you know, into the weeds in tax planning, some estate and legacy planning strategies, um, but, you know, I found that a lot of people in the, the retirement um, in the, the decumulation phase, you know, once you get a initial plan, um, you know, in place, it's a lot of legwork up front. Uh, but, you know, once you get that plan in place, it's more of just a monitoring it. And, you know, for me, it, after about, you know, five years, I, I felt like I was starting to get a little stagnant. Um, and so have always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit, um, you know, and love giving advice to people that are, you know, younger in a more relatable life stage. Um, so started out, you know, the journey looking to get in with a fintech company and SecFi, um, you know, does financial, uh, but they're looking to get into financial planning for startup employees. Uh, to date, our business has been around just using some digital tools online to help startup employees, you know, understand like exercise costs, you know, what if their company were to exit for $50 versus $100, like what does that mean for their personal situation? Um, and then we do financing. So if you were to leave your company and you needed to, um, you know, exercise and the cost to exercise were more than what you had, you know, SecFi comes in and we can provide a, a very low risk solution um, for you to be able to own your shares um, in the company. All right. Yeah. And so at All Street, we are definitely work with a lot of people in equity comp, which is, you know, how we kind of got introduced and the tools that you guys are building is just awesome. I mean, I stumbled upon the website, saw these tools and I was just like, very surprised that they were free. And some of my clients were going to actually start to use um, them in some of our meetings and just view, you know, what could actually happen if we take this route versus that route. So I'm really happy about that. But for today, let's start to talk about a little bit of, you know, some of the common mistakes you see people make with equity comp. Um, so we won't get like too far into the weeds, but let's just talk about some things that you see a lot of people overlook or skip over. Yeah, Absolutely. I think, you know, there, there's three common, you know, that, that stand out um, misconceptions. I think the first is, you know, when you join a company and you're awarded stock options as part of your compensation package, you know, people assume 
that you know they they own shares in the company and they're they're a shareholder. Um, and you know stock options give you the right to purchase shares in the company, but you still have to actually pay money you know out of pocket to be able to to become a shareholder. So I always tell people you know there there's a key term called exercising, and that is you know you purchasing the shares. Um, so you don't own shares you know from day one, and also you know there's usually a vesting cycle. So you typically have to you know stay with the company for at least a year. Um, you know it's a uh, it, traditional um, you know model, and then after that year, then typically you know you are then vested and you can exercise a portion. Uh, common is you know four year vesting with a one year clip. So after that one year anniversary, you're twenty five percent vested, and then the the remainder of your options you know vest over the subsequent months. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's the big one is you know cool. making sure people understand they're not they're not an owner on day one uh, that there's another step in the process. I love that one. I actually like that probably wouldn't have been the one of the ones I picked because I wouldn't have even thought that foundational. But that I think that is so important. I think almost everybody I've talked to they they kind of mix up and almost think of them like RSUs. Like hey, you know you're gifted this and now they're worth something, but with, with incentive stock options or non-qualified stock options, you have to understand that one, you do have to buy it. it. It's just an option. You have the right to buy it at this price. And if the price is lower, then you really actually didn't get anything out of it. So when you're at a new company, pre-IPO company, series A, whatever they're at in funding, it feels pretty good because you, you expect this company to blow up. But there are some companies that like, when if you get in at a time where the price is pretty high, you know, you might have thought that your ISOs are going to be this huge compensation towards you, but actually become worthless and you don't really get much out of it. Absolutely. And I think that that's another, you know, key thing to ask, you know, when you were before accepting a job, you know, asking some questions of, you know, you know, what are these, you know, I I'm awarded X number of shares, but you know, how many shares are out there? Like what, what piece of the company do I own? Because you may get offered, you know, 50,000 shares in a company. And that sounds like a lot. Um, but if there's, you know, a hundred million shares, you know, in circulation, it is a very small, small piece. Um, so that's, you know, one question. And then just, you know, really understanding, you know, how, what is the current value of the company? Um, and some companies will give you the option, you know, from you know, day one, you can do what's called an early exercise. And that, you know, allows you to be able to buy it. So there's not a difference between, you know, the value at a, a future date, if the company is growing, which then would be considered a taxable event. So those are just some things, you know, to, to talk to an advisor, um, you know, to be able to really understand because there's a lot of, you know, intelligent people that work at startups, um, but they may have never, you know, been offered, you know, incentive stock options. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's not a knock on them, but it just is to make sure that they fully understand um, and, you know, things are transparent so that they, you know, have a, an idea of what they're getting into and they can begin making a well-informed, you know, plan and strategy for their, their life. Yeah, I totally agree. I love that one. Okay. That's one. What what we got for the next one for you? Yeah, so another common you know misconception and it's blown around on like the Reddit community uh, community a lot, but you know that your your options aren't worth anything unless the company you know goes public. Um, and I think you know that is that is something to just kind of unpack is you know until there is you know an an exit event, whether your company is acquired by another company or that there is a initial public offering and it's traded on one of the big exchanges you know, there is a lot, you know, your, your funds for the most part are locked up. However, there are companies like SecBuy um, and then some of our competitors, you know, that, that will offer some financing to be able to, to give you liquidity. Um, there's also, you know, some secondary, you know, markets or some tender offers that are, you know, ways that investors could be able to, to buy shares. Um, so I always just like to, to let people know that, 
know, there, there are other options out there. And if you were an early employee at a very, you know, fast growing company, so say you joined, you know, Airbnb is a common one, you know, back in the, the early days in 2008, you worked there for four years. So now you're fully vested and then you go on to pursue your, your next opportunity. Well, unless you exercise your stock in it, 2012, Airbnb was not a publicly traded company. Unless you exercise your stock within 90 days, you forfeit all the value that has you know, occurred within Airbnb and you personally are not able to be a beneficiary of that. So even though Airbnb is not trading on you know, the NASDAQ stock market, there's significant value created you know, between 2008 and 2012. And you want to be able to exercise that and hold on to it. So when you know, Airbnb is now a publicly traded company you know, and it's worth $100 billion, you would have forfeited all that upside, even though Airbnb was not public at that time, it still was worth something. It just is, it's worth something based on what they call a 409A valuation. Uh, that occurs at least once a year or at the time of a, a fundraising round. But that's something yeah. I just like, there's a lot of you know, complexities, but I do want people to know that even if you were to leave a company, you know, after, um, you know, and the company has not gone public yet, those shares are still worth something and they could be, yeah. you know, worth something down the road. Um, so just don't you know, assume that because the company hasn't gone public or acquired that, you know, it's, it's meaningless. So a big thing there and like not investment advice, but more of kind of a rule of thumb is like before you leave a company, like if they're vested, they don't, you actually have to exercise. If you exercise and leave, even though there might not be a great secondary market to sell, you still own those. So in the future, as that becomes a little, as it appreciates and you want to sell, you have it. But if you never exercise, even though you vested, that means you really got nothing out of it. And I think that's extremely important to understand too, is a lot of these places that you're taking these jobs at that have great equity are because they're paying you less as a startup. So they incentivize you with equity. So if you don't maximize your equity, you basically like took the, the gravy on top or something that could really help you in the future and just took that less income comparable to probably if you did that same job at a bigger company. So I feel like that's a big mistake that can happen pretty often. Correct. So yeah, that's that's something I think, you know, and it, you know, just as a lot of your, you know, listeners are aware, you know, just because you you work at a startup, you're not always going to have a successful exit like, you know, the Airbnbs or the Coinbase of the world, you know, those those are exceptional companies. Um so there is some risk. Um you want to just make sure that, you know, you're making a well-informed decision. Um but just knowing that, you know, like you said, you're typically taking, you know, a lower um, you know, salary at a, you know, early stage venture than you would be at a more, you know, reputable fortune 100 company. Um, but that the stock is, you know, the, the big upside potential, um, and it can yeah. be life-changing wealth. I've seen it do some, you know, incredible things for people, um, in just a very short period of time. hundred percent. Okay. That's two. What do you got for three? Yeah. The last one is, you know, a lot of people come to me and say, well, Chris, I didn't sell my stock. You know, I shouldn't owe any taxes on this. And that's the big thing. You know, it comes back to that keyword exercise. Um, and so, you know, we talked about, you know, when you join the company, you are awarded stock options or the right to buy stock at a certain price, a strike price and exercise price. Those are interchangeable terms. And then as the company continues to grow, um, again, at least once a year, there's going to be a calculation of value. Um, and that is the 409A value. And so if your company raises another fundraising round, if you acquire, you know, a company and the valuation then, you know, appreciates or, you know, the company is growing, they're growing revenue. And so investors are, you know, valuing that more than the difference between the fair market value of the company and then the strike price that is considered a taxable event from the IRS purposes. Once you exercise, 
And so there, you could run into a uh, situation where your company, you can't sell it on a publicly traded market, but you do have a big tax bill owed once you file your taxes. Um, and so we just want to make sure people are aware of that, you know, on the front end before they exercise so that they have some cash around to be able to pay any necessary taxes and that they're not surprised once it comes to time to file their taxes. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to actually know about the equity comp you have, because each one has different rules. So if you have RSUs, when RSUs vest, you basically pay tax on that day. Money is already taken out. You want to think of it as a cash bonus. And that one's a little bit easier to plan for taxes because most of the companies kind of withhold the shares to do that. But then you have non-qualified stock options where it's like you do owe tax on that day based on the difference. And then with incentive stock options, it's you could trigger AMT. So you don't technically own tax, but if you don't know about this thing through it and you and you basically exercise too much where it puts your income in a certain threshold to trigger AMT, you now owe 28% tax when you wouldn't have if you actually planned it. And I think the important part and something that I see mistaken by a lot of people is that they only make decisions based on tax. And that's not at all what we're trying to say. What we're trying to say is you have to be aware of the taxes and plan for them because let's say you do have one of these early stages and you're 10 years in, it's worth a ton of money. You could trigger, you know, 50, 100, $200,000 of tax by AMT, where if you don't plan for it, you're screwed. But we're also not saying that you shouldn't exercise because of that. You just have to be like aware of the risk and the trade-offs. And a great example of this is we had a client who they had, they started early on a company, like some of their earliest shares were 78 cents. It was worth $92. And their big thing was like, Hey, we don't really want to sell right now because every, like everybody in the company is talking about how good we're going to do like price targets next year. And this brings in a huge thing for me of everybody says their company's going to do well. I, I'm, this is where I, I feel like is a good way to add values. I've never met one person with equity comp that wasn't like, dude, we are going to take off. We're going to kill it. It's going to be worth triple what it was in five years. And you have to realize like that is your company's job. Like they culture everything. You want to be positive, know about the future, know what we can build upon. Their goal is to keep everybody excited about the company. And so you're going to hear that from the inside. Is that what's going to happen? Maybe maybe not. And so when you hold and make your decision solely based on the positive outlook you can have, you kind of set yourself up to be in a tough position because now these people we want to talk about who we explained why we should diversify part and all the things it could do. They decided to hold on. It went from 92 to 52 over six months. You mm -hmm. think about that for them, that went from two and a half million to 1.25 million worth of value of those shares. And sure, it could bounce back. It, it could do a lot of things. We don't really know. But you got to one, think of taxes, but not make decisions on taxes. And two, you try to have to, you could do have to take a realistic approach. And, you know, I think a good example is like sports gambling. Like I'm a Duke fan. If I'm going to gamble on Duke, I'm going to see every single time how Duke is going to win the game because you're biased to how you feel about what is going on. It's the same thing with equity comp. We all think it's going to do great. And if you didn't, why would you be working at this company? You thought that was terrible and wasn't going to grow. Like, we all have to be aware of those biases that we have and not let taxes or what we're hearing about our own company dictate the decisions that we make when sometimes we want to make like, you know, what's the smartest approach for us? Exactly. And I think that's one of the benefits of being able to, to work with an advisor to someone that's, you know, objective to give you some advice because you're absolutely right. You know, people that are working at the company, you, you want them to be bullish. You want them to think that the future is going to be, you know, the company is going to be significantly larger, you know, that's the type of, you know, culture and mentality you want from people that are just energized to work at a company and they're actively working and contributing to the growth. However, you know, with 
you know, with owning any one stock, you know, that is riskier than having a diversified approach. And especially when that stock in the company is who is also paying, you know, your bills and paying your salary, you know, that that's additional layer of risk. And so, you know, we want to be able just to be able to say, hey, you know, not not every time, you know, the the lowest tax cost strategy is going to be the optimal approach for you. You know, there very well could be, you know, a situation where it makes sense to, you know, hang on to some of these options, not exercise them, and you know, wait until there is, you know, an exit event and then do a cashless exercise. And from a tax perspective, you know, you're going to be paying a higher tax rate than if you had exercised earlier, but you're not going to be able to know that, you know, at the time. Like in hindsight, it looks great and say like, oh, I wish I would have just started the clock earlier. But but you don't know that. And, you know, there could be a global pandemic. There could be, you know, an isolated you know event at your company. There could be a new competitor that emerges. And so there's a lot of risk that could, you know, significantly alter the value. And, you know, as we've seen lately in public markets, there are a lot of, you know, high flying tech stocks last year that have, you know, had significant corrections. And for people that did not, you know, sell their stock or were not able because, you know, either it's privately held or there was an employee lockup period, um, you know, they're they're in a real bind because maybe they exercise at a higher price. Now they have a big tax bill due, but the value of the stock is, you know, half of that. And so now where are they going to come up from for, with the cash? So those are just all things to, to keep in mind, you know, before making a big decision um, because, you know, stock options in a company can do some wonderful things. And you really, that's, you know, our whole mission is to help, you know, unlock, you know, financial, you know, decisions and you, you know, clients to help them achieve their goals, starting with their stock options, but just also make them aware that, you know, as much, you know, as you want to be bullish and, you know, believe in your company's future, there are also, you know, some events that could affect that. And so let's just make sure that we're taking a responsible approach, um, you know, with managing the stock options. Yeah, no, I think that's incredibly well said. And I think like kind of the last thing to add to is like, from a financial advisor perspective, a lot of times we look at this and you're like, okay, diversify, like diversify, let's hold on to some wealth. But then there's the whole other side of things of like, you know, diversification is to maintain and preserve wealth. Like obviously 8% returns good, but concentration is how you can truly build wealth. And so like, for me, this is why it's helpful. I think to work with advisors like us who get that we're young, we understand that there's risk that you can take. Like for me, I will be completely honest. I wouldn't sell out of all of my company stock and move it to a diversified portfolio. I would want to leave part of that to take risk too. Probably not the whole thing. And so I think by talking to an expert, you can start to think through of like, you know, how do we really find that middle ground where we don't feel like we're giving up this upside potential, but also where we're not setting ourselves up where if we are, you know, Peloton, Zoom, or like even worst case, like an Enron or Theranos or something like that, that we aren't just like screwed the rest of our life. And we realize that we wasted all of this time and all this money we could have had by holding to hope it's the best. Because at the end of the day, like if you in view investment decisions of you have to hit the best spot, you're always going to feel like you're going to fail because you're never going to do that. We're never going to sell at the best point. We're never going to buy at the best point. But what matters is that we just do it at the at good points and we can still make a ton of progress. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, it all depends upon, you know, what stage of life you're at, you know, what goals you have. Um, and, you know, if this is, you know, say your second or third startup and you maybe you had a successful exit, well, then you have the ability to take some additional risks because hopefully you've been able to take some of those, you know, concentrated proceeds off the table. You put it in a more diversified you know, investment, but maybe this is your first one. And so, you know, s- similar to how you put money away, your 401k, you do that, you know, you know, twice a, twice a month or, you know, maybe once a month, depending upon how you're paid. Well, similar, you know, set money aside to be able to cover the exercise cost. And then that way you're slowly, you know, chipping away, or you mentioned, you know, with incentive stock options, you know, there's a certain threshold that you could be able to exercise 
without triggering, you know, alternative minimum tax. And maybe, you know, you'll, you sit down with the advisor, you know, at the end of the year in December and say, hey, you know, well, how much could I get, you know, in exercise in my, in my ISOs without triggering, you know, an alternative minimum tax. And so those are just some, you know, situations to, to just be mindful of the risk you're taking, but also, you know, recognize, you know, this, this stock, this company that you're working for probably has, you know, the most significant upside potential of any, you know, securities in your portfolio. And so we don't want to, you know, uh, hinder that upside, but we also just want to make sure that, you know, whatever decision you make with how much you exercise and the timing of that, it's not going to, to cripple you, you know, if the company were to have, you know, a, a down round or, you know, you know, unfortunately, you'll know, go out of business um, as we've seen, you know, many startups do. Yeah. And I think that you made a great point. Like you have to understand that if, you know, 20, 50, whatever percent of your portfolio is in one individual stock, you do have to adjust the way the rest of your investments are. So you might want to hold on to extra cash just in case you might want to scale back and not be in 10 individual stocks or like, Hey, if you're a tech, you know, if I, like uh, let's say you're a healthcare tech company, you might not want most of the rest of your portfolio to be in tech knowing that you already have like 50% here. So you want to view how all of these things go together and, um, because it, it, you don't want to be the person that has 10 individual stocks and then just one thing for your equity comp. And you're sitting here just like 60% swings over a few periods of months. Like that is really hard emotionally. And it like, that's going to cause a lot of anxiety too. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the, the blessings of, you know, working a startup is, you know, your company may have, you know, that those swings in valuation, but because there's not a public market that is, you know, reassessing uh-huh. the price every day you know, a lot of people, you know, that may otherwise sell if their company, you know, were to go down 50%, you know, they're not aware of that. Um, and so you, or, or there's not a market to be able to, to trade. So you have to hang on. Um, but absolutely. I think, you know, to be able to just, you know, to, to customize a plan where you're comfortable, you can sleep at night, um, you know, and that regardless of what happens to your company, if there's a, you know, massive IPO and your company, you know, exits for $20 billion, like that is icing on the cake. But if your company doesn't exit, then you you are still going to be able to achieve the goals that you have. It may take a little longer, but you what we're doing outside of the company stock is putting you in a position to be able to achieve those goals um, that you have. It's never good to have your whole future riding on one thing. Like it's def, it definitely doesn't make it easier to feel less anxiety about money. That's for sure. But Chris, I mean, I really thank you, man. I thought this was just like absolutely awesome. I know a lot of people will walk away with a bunch of helpful information. So thanks for joining us. We're going to have to have you on again sometime in the future. Um, And thanks everybody for listening. Please again, go rate, subscribe, and we'll see you back next week. For sure. Thanks, Thomas.